Any lingering questions on Ezekiel? All right, let's go to Daniel. Oh, okay, I didn't see you, Mister. I'm sorry. Where do you have? Where's that? Yeah, what? No, what he's saying there is in this vision that that Daniel, that Ezekiel had at the end. He is making some very clear boundaries that he will not be defiled by the people. And so he makes very clear that when the priests are in the inner holy of holies, they're going to wear one clothing. But before they go out to the people, they will wear something different. And the idea there is that the people had become too free, too relaxed in their worship and their dealings with God and with all these gods. And so he's making a very strong precedent. And so it wasn't necessarily that he was afraid the people would become too good. He's afraid that they would have their holiness as the priest marred from that moment, that the transmission there would be twofold. It's my understanding of that and the poetic way to say that. All right, anything else? All right. No, he. I think that that's one of those dual prophecy things. What he's saying is the temple will be rebuilt, and it was but that eventually that I will live among them. And we get that picture in Revelation where God says that he will live among us, that he will be our light, that his presence will be continually there. So I think it's a dual prophecy fulfillment there. So the answer is yes and yes. I think part of it is new earth. Yeah, I think part of it is also just that the temple would be rebuilt in Jerusalem because he's speaking to Ezekiel and said, I'm going to bring everybody back. And so... There will be a temple rebuilt in Jerusalem and that God's presence would dwell there. But also it does look forward to that day when there would need to be a temple and it will be completely his people and it will just be him living among his people. All right, let's go to Daniel. Here's what we're going to do in Daniel. Here are my ground rules for tonight. We are not going, we're going to cover Daniel 1 through 6 tonight. Okay, there's a specific reason for that. The specific reason for that is Daniel 1 through 6 is different than the rest of the book of Daniel. Daniel 1 through 6 are historical. Um, I mean, there are prophetic kind of things in there, but they're events, they're narration. Daniel 7 begins the prophecies of Daniel, the apocalyptic nature of Daniel. And that's It's a different thing. Now, um, if we've got time, we'll begin to get into chapter 7, and there'll have to be some discussion of chapter seven, because of um, because of chapter two and its correlation with chapter seven, and we'll do some of that. But try to we're going to try to stick to the first six chapters tonight. We'll cover seven through the rest of Daniel next week, along with Hosea. Okay. So, what questions do you have in the first six chapters of Daniel? Would you notice good parts? Any familiar stories there? Anybody want to attempt to give Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's uh, Babylonian names? Or, like, they're Babylonians, they're Hebrew names. Isn't it interesting that that's how we know them, or their new names? And we know Daniel almost exclusively by his Jewish name. Yeah. And the, and the people that threw him in. Yeah, the bad people yeah, and the ropes. Yeah. It's one of my... It's one of my you know, I, I made this story. I've told you this before. It always seems that whatever part of the Bible I'm reading is my favorite part at the moment. But that story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is just—I uh, just love the story. I just—I uh, love um, them coming. You know, the king coming and saying, "Listen, 
just I'm going to give you one more chance. Just bow down to me, and everything will be okay. And they say, no offense, King, but our God can deliver us if you put us in the furnace. And even if he doesn't, we are not going to bow. I just love that defiant stand. Um, and just it, it, there have been moments in my life, important moments in my life, when I have made decisions and I have literally gone back to that story and said, I believe God can provide this. I believe God can deliver this. I believe God can rescue me from this. I believe God is taking me here. But even if he doesn't show up like I think he should, I will not praise another. I will serve only the Lord. Just a great story. I have Rackshack and Benny. Yeah. You know, VeggieTales got in a lot of trouble. For that, did you know that? That was one of they got. There was a lot of controversy over Rack Shack and Benny, um, because the most catchy song in there is the song that they're not supposed to sing. Like there's, they spilled a statue of a bunny, and there's a song that goes, "The bunny, the bunny, oh, I love the bunny." You know that. That I know y'all just had your minds blown by that singing expertise, but, but that song, and they won't sing that song. They won't bow down to the song. Well. Kids everywhere were going around singing the bunny song. Yeah, and so they had to revise it. They had to change it. And, you know, inadvertent consequences of making a really good song. So, interesting. All right, other things, observations in Daniel. Questions you have. Things you noticed. Y'all are very quiet tonight. I think I think Daniel wrote it. The, the main reason people say that Daniel didn't write it is because much of what he said came true. And so they, they would rather see it as revisionist history than prophetic utterance. Um, I, I mean, there are a couple of quirky little things there, but but what we one of the things that we get from the book of Daniel is Daniel was one of the most well-educated men of his age. I mean, right? I mean, they took only the brightest, smartest, most athletic, best-looking guys. And Daniel was the top of the top. Uh, he was, you know, think of football recruiting terms. He was a five-star athlete. He was the prize recruit. And so it doesn't bother me that he uses really lofty language. Now, some of that language may have been translated. I mean, we don't have... I mean, we don't have a copy that Daniel actually sat down and wrote of the book. We have copies of that, or uh, even a lot of our information comes from what they call the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. The, uh, it's called Septuagint because there were 70 scholars that translated it. And Septuagint's 70 in Greek. And so it doesn't bother me if they use some modern Greek words to translate what he wrote. Um, be like today, people picking up a Bible and saying, well, we know that Paul didn't write this because Paul would never say it the way that that English says it. Well, no, he wouldn't, but we've interpreted it for our, translated it for our generation. So I, I think Daniel wrote it. Or a real close contemporary of Daniel wrote down what he was saying. So. Anybody ever try to draw the statue that Nebuchadnezzar has in his dream there? It's kind of strange, isn't it? Look at look at Daniel chapter 2 for a minute. And the statue has a 
he has this dream. And I think it's hilarious how the magicians, the people of magic, the fortune tellers, the prophets come to Nebuchadnezzar and he says, I need somebody to interpret my dreams. And they're like, go ahead, shoot, we're ready for it. I mean, that was the way you did it back then. They, they told you what you dreamed, you gave an interpretation. What Nebuchadnezzar realizes real quickly is that can become a game pretty fast, right? I mean, Eli could come to me in the morning and say, Dad, this is what I dreamed. I'll say, well, Eli, that's because you were watching G.I. Joe on television yesterday and that came out, or you ate tacos last night and that didn't settle well, you know. You know, I mean, we could come up with stuff. But he says, no, 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 I, I want somebody to tell me my dream. And they say, well, nobody can do that. Um, one of the things I love about Daniel, and what I want you to understand through the rest of this book, okay, because Daniel is one of those books that really has two people. There are two kinds of people that really like Daniel. One is the people that love the narrative stories. Uh, I mean, just what are the stories there? There's the one that begins where they won't eat what everybody wants them to eat, and so they keep themselves pure, and so they grow healthy. You have they won't bow down to the idols, and so they're thrown into the fiery furnace. Well, then a new guy comes to power, and he wants everybody to pray just to him. And Daniel prays, and he gets thrown in the lion's den. And then one of my favorite lines in Scripture, when they throw the people that got him arrested in, and it said the lions jumped on them and devoured like they hadn't eaten was the idea there. Like they just... They were starving, and they went after them. Um, you, you got those kind, the people that like those stories, the, the writing on the wall, right? And the hand that appears out of nowhere and writes this mystic message about your days are numbered. Uh, words that we still, I mean, it's interesting because the words that are written on the wall have become kind of slang in our culture today, right? We'll talk about those in a minute. But So you have those people, people that like those just stories. The, Daniel is a Sunday school teacher's dream. For kids, it's just got great stories. All right, what the first six chapters, right? And then there are the people that love prophecy and love um, um, trying to figure everything out in prophecy. And for them, the book of Daniel is a, the Old Testament revelation. That's what it's been called. Sometimes it's it's got all of these things in the seventy sevens and the sixties. Well, no sixties, but the you know. People in the 60s really liked it some. Um, but you had the 70s and the seven weeks and the numbers and the beast coming out of the water and the, and the rams and the, and the fights and the horns breaking off and the little horns growing and ten horns sprouting and four horns, you know, and being able to identify every little thing. Well, that the, the, the ten horns are the European Union because there are ten stars in it and the two horns that are coming out of it are the currency that they're using and the little horn is the leader that will arrive. I mean, you know, you know, there are those people. Anybody ever seen a guy named Jack Van Impey on TV? There's a guy named Jack Van Impey on television, all right? And he's that kind of guy. There's other people that love that. But what is missed in all of that is this. The main understanding of the book of Daniel is that God is in complete control now and forever. That's it. There are kings that come and go. And what we have is the one constant is the man who the book is named after, who is Daniel, and the constancy he has is that he always follows God. And so you have this king that says, 
I've had this dream, and I don't know what it is. And Daniel says, well, give me some time. And they pray. Don't you love that? They don't just, Daniel doesn't just make something up. He prays. God, give us the answer. He comes in, and he says, I'm told you can interpret dreams. And he says, it's not me that can interpret dreams. It is the God who knows all. Well, he tell me. And so he tells me, well, I don't know how you knew that. Well, I didn't know it. It was the God who knows all. And so you have Daniel saying all that. So we're going to talk a little bit about the vision. But don't get so lost in the vision that you miss the message. That's like when we get to Revelation. The whole point of Revelation, for the time it was written, was there were people that were being killed for their faith in Jesus Christ, and they were crying out, how much longer are we going to have to endure this? And John writes this book that God gives him the vision to say, we will win. Keep holding strong. We win. Now, not that it's not important to go through all that stuff, but don't get so involved in the trees that you miss the forest. And the book of Daniel is that way. And so Daniel comes in and he tells him this thing, and this statue is in the dream, and it's got a head of gold and shoulders and arms of silver and stomach and thighs of bronze and legs and feet of iron and clay. Now, and then he says those are four kingdoms. The idea is there are four kingdoms there that will go through, and then a lot of discussion in history about what those four kingdoms are. Here's what most scholars think. They think that in one way they have already come and gone. Okay? That the winged lion of Daniel 7 or the head of gold is Babylon. That is the current one that was there. He even talks about him being kind of the head. That the Medo-Persians were next, and that was the shoulders and the arms of silver and the bear in Daniel 7. That following that, there were the Greeks. And um, there are those that say that the, the little horn, not necessarily the little horn of the Antichrist, which is kind of prophesied, but the little horn here that has already been fulfilled could be seen in the person of Alexander the Great, who conquered the world um, and then lost the king. I mean, at a young age, conquered the world. Now, that's the stomach and thighs. And then the uh, mongrel empire or the legs of iron and clay was Rome, which still to this day many consider to be the greatest empire that has existed on the earth. Had broader reach. I mean, at one time the um, the Romans held land from Britain to Far East, Africa. I mean, they held land in the known world in all places. And so those four things are what they say. Now, does that mean there isn't some kind of future revelation, especially in, in Daniel 7 we'll talk about next week? There could be other ones, and we'll talk about those, but it also had a prophecy that was fulfilled. That's why a lot of people, Cliff, think that it couldn't be written till the Greeks were ruling because he just knew too much about what was coming. So, Anything else in Daniel? One of the things that I love about Daniel is everybody wanted him to be right. One of the challenges that I have in my own life is to ask the question, do I live my faith out in such a way that even the skeptics want me to be right? I mean, think about this. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar wants him to be right. He wants Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He, he likes them too much. Uh, 
the, the guard in chapter 1 says, I, I don't want to get in trouble, and, and, but I want you to be right. Uh, you get to the king that throws him in the lion's den. He, it, the picture is he runs out, and when he hears him, he starts rejoicing because Daniel is alive. And so it's just it's a convicting thing for me that even his biggest skeptics and critics wanted him to be right because they liked him so much. He was so winsome as a person. Well, I didn't want him to pray to another god. I wanted him to pray to him. Yeah. And what you also have to remember is that, you know, there, Daniel served for years in Babylon. There were several rulers. And each time a new ruler came on, Daniel seems to get shuffled away a little bit until some event comes that Daniel comes back to the top and his leadership is proven. All right. Anything else in Daniel 1 through 6? All right, let's go to the book of James. James, uh, I think I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, um, is a book that Martin Luther despised. Martin Luther, the Reformation pastor from 500 years ago, despised. Um, because he was a guy that grew up in the Catholic Church and thought James taught works-based salvation, and he just didn't like it. He called it a, I can't remember, a, a strawy little epistle. Just he thought it was thin. Uh, I, I happen to disagree with Martin, and that's okay. I still think Martin's a pretty good guy, but I disagree with him. I like James a lot. Um, most people think that the book of James is a collection of sermon tidbits from James. They're kind of a greatest hits from him. So, so what questions do you have in James? And the cold has really got y'all not talking. What do you like, not like, question, challenges you? Yeah. Y'all were taking that to heart a little too much tonight. The slow to speak part, all right? But, but it's true. you, you got to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, right? Our society is almost completely opposite of that these days. It's Everybody's got an opinion, and everybody ought to share their opinion and ought to get it out there and tell everybody and be out there with everybody making it loud instead of listening, taking in. We did. Peter will say that as well. Um, you know, they lived each day as if the Lord was coming back then. Uh, you also get in Peter what's interesting. We'll get fully in Peter in a minute. But um, Peter says that the, the people, when it doesn't come, people will begin to doubt. It's, I think it's interesting he says that. If it, it keeps extending, people are going to doubt, but, but hold firm to this. And so we're here 2,000 years later. Um, and I'm making it less truthful that it's going to happen. Oh, okay. I haven't seen it. Yeah, nobody knows. Although when we get to Revelation, we'll get a timeline figured out. I'm just kidding. All right. Anything else in James? Luther was real strong. I mean, Luther is is the father of the Reformation movement. And the Reformation movement brought us from a Catholic idea of works-based salvation to you're saved by faith through grace. Ephesians, Galatians, those Pauline writings that he loved. And when he gets to James, and James says... You can't be saved unless you have good works. You say, I believe. I'll show you I believe by what I do. And if you don't show me what, what you do, how am I going to know who you are? And the idea there isn't that we have to be doing good works to get saved. 
the idea there is that if you are saved, you will be doing good works. It just will follow who you are. It's, and he, what he's saying there is, um, Alan's in a class right now with a guy named Dr. Jackson, and I've used this quote a whole lot. Dr. Jackson used to say it a lot, but I don't know if he still does this in class, but he'll say, uh, people tell me not to judge. And he said, I'm not to be the judge, but I am to be a fruit inspector. And if your fruit doesn't match, you need to check what kind of tree you are. And that's what James will say. And that's what John will say. In First John, when we get to First John. You say that you're a believer, and yet nothing in your life demonstrates that you are a believer. How in the world can we sense that you are a believer? You say you believe? Congratulations. So does Satan. He believes. He believes that Jesus is God and changed who he is and changed who you are. Guess which camp you're in. James is a little more. Uh, James is the guy that my grandfather would say steps all over his toes. Right? And doesn't care. He, he's just, that's who he is. Paul is more, now Paul will get on your toes too, but Paul is more of an endearing, loving kind of guy. And then James just says, here it is, real quickly. Um, so, well, and, I mean, James obviously is accepted. He's it's in the canon and. Luther, I think Luther did some tongue-in-cheek stuff when he did that kind of stuff. But we do have to realize that um, James says a whole lot in five chapters. And he hits hard at some areas that are calloused in most hearts. Favoritism, prayer, worry, taking care of the poor, living your life correctly. We live in a country that has this mantra that nobody can tell me how I ought to live. And James says, that's just not true. We all are subject to understanding who God is and living by what he does. Uh, I mean, he talks about faith and deeds. He talks about taming the tongue, you know. And that, and that great uh, comparison there that... That a boat, this huge boat, and you've got one little rudder that can turn it one way or the other. You've got this powerful horse, but if you've got a bit in the horse's mouth, you can control which way it goes. And that their tongue is the thing that controls us. The smallest little thing controls how we live. Uh, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago um, in service, but how many times have we gotten ourselves in trouble saying something we shouldn't have said? How many times have you ever, as it's coming out of your mouth, thought, why in the world am I saying that? I mean, as it's coming out, not two days later, not when the consequences are known, just like, it, I can't stop it. It's there, you know? Or found yourself saying, you know, I was just thinking, the oh, I really shouldn't say that. What were you thinking? Oh, never mind. What's that? Yeah, yeah. We let it control us instead of controlling it. So, yeah, just a spark. You know, there's that... It's not meant this way, but there's that, that old camp song, It Only Takes a Spark to Get a Fire Going, right? Pass it on, that song. And the idea there is you just think about the damage that can be done through a simple statement to people you love, to people you disagree with. And one of the things that we probably don't admit as much as we should 
is that we all know sometimes when we're about to set ablaze a fire. And we have to be careful how we use it. He says in verse 9 of chapter 3, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, then we curse men who have been made in His likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, that should not be. Can't you see him preaching that? I mean, James reads. It's one of those books that someday I've thought that walk in and just preach James. Word for word. I'd have to memorize it completely, but just preach it, and it would preach. So if I do that someday, y'all don't go, Hey, would you quit quote? That's plagiarism. You're quoting James. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the spring, same spring? What he's saying there is, if this stuff is continually coming out of your mouth, you've got to check what your heart is. Then he talks about the kind of wisdom that is of the world and the kind of wisdom that is of man and the kind of wisdom that is of God. He talks about submitting ourselves to God. He says, nobody should boast about tomorrow. Talked about rich people being careful. Talks about patience and suffering. I mean, he hits a litany of important things. Anything else in James? Who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, and that person sins. Um, in Baptist life, we've been really good identifying the don'ts, the thou shalt nots, the don't do this. We're not as good as talking about all of the do's and what we're required to do as believers in Jesus Christ and that our not doing it is sinful. All right, I've got handouts for you. Now, here's the great thing. I've got six for you tonight. And after tonight, there's only one left. Because this will take you through First and Second Peter, First, Second, Third John, and Jude. And then... Next week, we'll hand out Revelation, and you won't have to worry about handouts from me anymore. All right? So I'm going to need some help passing these out. So if you can help, just stand up and grab a stack. Everybody uh, say thank you to Deborah at some time for running these off on a weekly basis. I, uh, she loves getting those emails from me on Wednesday afternoon. Oh, by the way, here's my one request. You don't have to take these home and memorize them and know everything on them. Just don't leave them in the pews. All right, who does not have Jude? You've got Jude. Y'all got Jude back there? Yeah. We got plenty. James? Yeah, he's he's good. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. He's James, you can tell James is a preacher because he's a great illustrator. I mean, I mean he just he he thinks how to communicate things where people can get it once. Paul, you got to sit down and digest Paul. James gives you pictures that you can immediately kind of grab onto. All right, let's talk about First and Second Peter, and then we're going to leave John and Jude to next week. Let's talk about First and Second Peter. Either one, uh, questions you have or comments you have about them. Um, First and Second Peter. Uh, First Peter was written specifically um, to a people that were in great need uh, because of their suffering. There was a lot of uh, persecution going on, and Peter writes to them. Let's remind ourselves, who is Peter here? Peter is Peter, right? Uh, this is the Peter from the New Testament. One of the things I love about reading First and Second Peter is you see a man 
who has matured in his faith. Um, you really do see a guy that is wise and, and uh, knows how to say the right thing at the right time. If you remember in the Gospels, you would not say Peter is the guy that knew the right thing to say at the right time. He was just not. Uh, we talk about this in the Gospels, but it's been said that Peter was born with a foot-shaped mouth. And constantly was sticking his foot in his mouth, all right? And so you get to First Peter, and there is hope in suffering. And there are just some great, um, there's just some great stuff in this uh, passage of Scripture, um, in this, uh, these sections of Scripture. There was one verse, and I'll take a minute to find it here, that I, I loved in First Peter that just hit me more so than it had hit me before, but... Questions you have, things you liked, didn't like? Yeah, tell us that verse again. Second Peter 2, verse 9, 9 and 10. That God knows how to take his people and deliver them from trials. So, great work. First Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and following. I love this. Um, for you know. It says this in verse 17. You must live in reverent fear of him during your time as foreigners in the land. Notice one of the big things of Peter is that we are foreigners, we are strangers. This is not our home. It will get better. This isn't as bad. You know, this is as bad as it'll be. We're in a foreign land. And he says, "For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors, and the ransom He paid was not mere silver or gold. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose Him as your ransom." Long before the world began, but he has revealed him to you in these last days. Through Christ, you have come to trust in God. And you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. I love that word picture of God paying the ransom to save us from an empty life. Just beautiful words. Other questions? Look at 1 Peter chapter 5. By the way, the New Living Translation has sanitized verse 14 because verse 14 in the Greek says, greet each other with a kiss. They've put with Christian love. That's the sanitized version, so you don't go around kissing everybody, all right? Um, you can imagine on our welcome if you said that's what the Bible says it says give you a holy kiss um, might not go over too well so it says in verse 13 so your sister church here in Babylon sends you greetings and so does my son Mark okay I had somebody ask me this week did Peter have a son you know what we know he had a mother-in-law how do we know he had a mother-in-law Miss Teresa Jesus healed her. Jesus healed her. So if you have a mother-in-law, that means you have a wife. And if you were living in that day and time, if you had a wife, you probably had children. Now, we don't think of Peter as a family man. We think of him as just Peter. But I don't know if he's speaking spiritually here in his son, Mark, as Paul will sometimes refer to somebody like Timothy or if this is his literal son, the point is there is a good chance he had a family and had children. 
in these two books, one of my favorite um, verses is for a guy like Peter to say to others, you must, guys, learn to live with your wife in an understanding way. Now, I want to tell you something. There are a couple of things about that verse. First of all, he does not say, guys, understand your wife. Amen? Because that ain't happening. We're not going to understand. But he says that we make every attempt to live with her in an understanding way. We try to study her. We try to... to uh, I heard a, a joke one time. Somebody says, you know why, why women know men so much? Because they study them all the time. Guys, we just are oblivious to that kind of stuff, right? But we live in an understanding way. Now, here's the amazing thing about that is it's such good advice, and it comes from Peter, the flamboyant, speak-and-then-think kind of guy, and he says, learn to live in an understanding way. <laughs> he had a wife he had to live with in an understanding way. I also like that Peter continually says, Treasure suffering for Christ. Now, if you're suffering for killing people, that ain't that ain't something to be treasuring. All right, you you need to suffer for being good, not for if you're committing crimes. That's not really suffering. That's being bad. But suffer for doing good. One other thing about the Psalms, and then we're going to move into business meeting. Psalm one one nineteen. We were on that for a little while, right? Psalm one nineteen. We read for a while. By the way, you read. In these last two weeks, you read the shortest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 117, and the longest, Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is a Hebrew acrostic. If you've got your regular Bible, or you can see it in your one-year Bible, Psalm 119 is a Hebrew acrostic. You know what an acrostic is, right? You put A, B, C, D, E, and then you write underneath them. Well, they don't necessarily... It's not like when you make your name, Lyle, and you put lovable, young, laughing, excited. You know, you know, it's not like that. But it is a, um, it is an acrostic. Psalm 119. If you look at the beginning, the, above the first stanza is the word Aleph, right? And what you have there are, is the Hebrew alphabet. You didn't know you maybe had the Hebrew alphabet right there in your Bible. But Aleph, Beth, Gimel, Dalit, He, La, Zion, Tech, Yod, Chaf, Ramen, Mem, Nun, Samak. Yeah, I know. Ayan, Pe, Sadek, Koth, Res, Sin, Shin, Toh. That's that's the Hebrew alphabet, and if like my my NIV has out beside it the Hebrew characters. I don't know if yours does, but it doesn't in the one-year Bible. But beside my NIV, beside Aleph has got the Aleph, and the Baith has got the what almost looks like a backward B. Um, so that's just a little bit of trivia for you. All right? 